0: of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor.
1: And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Well, thank you and welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. So glad you could join us today. You know what? I think I have a great show for you because I was finally able to convince Josh Hummer to come on the show. And if you don't know Josh, I think he's probably one of the best estate planning attorneys in Northern Virginia. He's has offices in Winchester in And in Ashburn, Josh, thank you so much for coming on today. You know, I've been looking forward to this for a couple of weeks now. Um, I know you listen to the podcast every once in a while, and you know that at the end of the show, I always say it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow them, and that's one of the reasons. Well, although there are many, that I'm happy that you're on today. So, thank you. I'm glad you're here. why don't we start with you, Josh Hummer? You know, you were working at a law firm, and then a few years ago, you you had this idea, this different idea, I guess, and you wanted to go in a different direction. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Sure, Eric, and it's really a pleasure to be on here with you. And and I I wholeheartedly agree the, with the protection protecting assets. I think that's so important. Um, And that kind of is a great place to start because that's where I started. Um, And specifically with going to court and basically trying to help people fix things that had already gone wrong. So helping people try and recover uh, from some different things that would happen, whether that was, you know, a tax situation they hadn't anticipated or conflict between a family after somebody had passed, or just, dealing with a loved one who had gotten ill and wasn't able to take care of themselves and hadn't done a good job planning. And so that was kind of the first part of my career was I spent um, time going to court, arguing, fighting about these different scenarios. And, and I got to tell you, Eric, at one point I finally, first of all, just the, the constant conflict started uh, causing you to have actually some some health issues. But I just realized that regardless of how good a job I did or how skilled I was or what the outcome was, we, we, we never were really able to undo the pain, anguish, financial loss that occurred because these people all went through a lawsuit, um, or at least most of them did. And Eric, as you probably know, like lawsuits are no fun, even if you win. One is you rarely win entirely, you know, rarely go into it and you just come, come come out of it completely whole. Right. But even if you do, there's still the emotional anguish and and just the anxiety that comes from having to be in that scenario. And when you throw family into it, it's it's so much worse. Right. And so, uh, about five years ago i I made the decision to leave the firm I was at and go out on my own and and really to attempt to get upstream um, to get to get to a place where I could talk to people to keep them from getting into these snares or let keep their them from getting their families into these scenarios where they were um, having dealing with losses or dealing with conflict and the, the, the vision was always to avoid not to not to solve the problem but just to avoid it entirely and I know that's something that you and I share. And so that's kind of the first major pivot. The other, the other one that happened after I went out on my own is I still had this idea of helping to solve problems um, or help it to not solve problems, excuse me, to avoid problems. Um, but I, I, after I got into it and for six months or a year, I was, I was doing it. And, and to be honest with you, as, and this may not come as a shock to your, to your audience, but attorneys are, are not known for their humility. (laughs) Um, so I was, I was rather proud of the job that I was doing and the skill, the legal skill I was bringing to the table. And I knew I was helping people avoid problems. But I tended to view all problems as financial or legal problems, and I'll, I'll never forget this. And I don't, I don't know if I told you this story before, Eric. But I remember one time I was sitting with this dear, dear lady, and I had just done a fantastic legal plan for for her. Right, I had really um, saved her a ton of money in taxes. I had avoided a lot of conflict, and I was very proud of myself. And as I was telling her about it. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I could just tell she really wasn't with me. Or maybe she wasn't as nearly as excited about this as I thought she should be
1: and as <laughs> I was. And so in a, in a, in a rare pr- moment of – oh, she, sorry. She wasn't as proud of your work as you were?
0: <laughs> no, she she, she she wasn't. So and this I had this rare moment of self-reflection. I was like, hey, uh, we'll just call her Diane. That wasn't her name, but hey, Diane what's what's going on like why are 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 you okay and she looked up at me and she said um well no uh my son and i are having a fight and i'm really having issues with my his wife my daughter-in-law and they haven't let me see my only grandchild for three months and eric i i don't know what to say you know it's just it, it it was just um Uh, Awful, and I I I had nothing right. Like all of my legal training and skill and everything meant nothing to her at that point because her big major pain point was what we'll call a relational pain point. She had a problem with another person, and that was really a watershed moment for for me and the the rest of my team. And I asked a really life changing question. We said, "Well, what if estate planning?" What if planning for your future death and for getting older, what if we focused on this not from the perspective of just legal and financial issues, but from the perspective of other people and and relationships? And what we found was um, really exciting, and that was that as we made the shift, as we made the goal uh, these relational issues, these relationships, the, the the kind of the deeper things in life, we, we found that everybody has them. Everybody has something that's concerning them, bothering them, that they're worried about. Uh, that is that is not just about money. And we also found that planning for the future, planning for to avoid problems, provides a wonderful opportunity to address those and strengthen those and approach things differently. And 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 one of the really most satisfying, neatest things to me as I started doing this is I found people started to get exciting, get getting excited about what we were doing. And I gotta tell you, that wasn't something that happened a whole lot in my career, right? Like nobody nobody likes going to talk to an attorney. Nobody gets excited about that. But right. when we open people's eyes to how we could come alongside them and their families and help address some of these deeper pain points, they really began to get excited about what we were doing and excited about the process. And that, that has just been so rewarding and interesting. So long, uh, long answer coming to a rapid close here. We, we do what we call relational estate planning. And to us, what that, that means two things. One is it means we are focused on people first and money second. We certainly have the skills um, to deal with the really detailed financial and tax issues that our clients have. Um, but we don't start there. We start with what is important to them and, and and who is important to them. And then once we understand that and we build a relationship with them, we feel like we're in a much better position to address those issues using the financial and legal and tax tools that we've that we've got. And then the other part of the relational that I think is important um, is we really want to bring in other professionals like you, financial professionals, accountants, other folks, and and work, Make sure the relationship is ju- not just with us and the and the um, client, but to, to us that is a good plan. It's a plan that's built around other people that involves a wide range of experts who are all working together for the client's best interest. So, sorry for the long answer there, as you can probably tell, I get I get pretty excited about this, and so I tend to 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 go on. But that's that's kind of my my story and where I came from and and what I'm passionate about.
1: No, and, and and that's great, Josh, because it's very unique um, for what you see in the estate planning area today. Um, let's stay with the the people focus. And I have a list of questions here, so we'll get to the money side in just a couple of minutes. But for now, let's just stay with the people side because if someone was to go to your website and they're trying to find out all about Josh and the team um, they'll also see there that you talk about ethical wills and you wrote a book. So you might want to mention that, too. But let's talk about the ethical wills. What if, could you explain that to us?
0: Sure. Um, so an ethical will... Um well, I guess I'll I'll start with the book, then I'll then I'll back into it. So as we were kind of thinking about how to explain this new approach to folks who are used to the old traditional estate planning approach, we we decided we we started putting some thoughts together, and it wasn't just me; it was several other members of our of our team. Um, we started putting some thoughts together about what we thought were trying to to collect what was important to people, different goals that they had, and then give them kind of a fresh look at the, the traditional tools and adding in some new tools for them to accomplish their their goals. So the book is called Fearless, Facing the Future Confidently with Relational Estate Planning. And it outlines five different goals we um, think a lot of people have uh, or maybe should think about. And I think it, it's really re- reflective of what a lot of our clients already are trying to do. But those are protecting and providing for loved ones, Avoiding conflict, leaving a legacy, preserving special memories, and easing burdens. And so, when we put an estate plan together, it's under the the we, we normally try and talk to folks in terms of these these goals. And again, those aren't u- unique to us. I think a lot of folks already have them, but we call those out, and then we identify a bunch of tools that folks can use as part of their their plan to accomplish whichever of these goals is important to them, or whichever ones are important to them. And one of them that I just absolutely love, and I actually think it's the most important tool in any estate plan, is the ethical will. And I always have clients look at me funny when I tell them that, because they're like, the most important? And they're like, well, is it a legal document? No, it's not a legal document. It's a, um, I, a we call it a non legal document. And basically, in a nutshell, what it is, is like a traditional will leaves behind your assets, leaves behind your your money, it passes it on. The ethical will is intended to leave behind values and experiences and what you've learned. And the ethical, the the word ethical comes from the Greek word ethos, uh, which means your character, who you who you were. And so, without going too far down a rabbit hole, um, Aristotle and some of the other Greek philosophers, when they kind of developed. Uh, some of the underpinnings of logic and argumentation that we still use today, they they noticed that there were there were ways to appeal to logic, there were ways to appeal to emotion, and there are ways to appeal to using your character, who you who you were. And so they they developed that as its own type of argument. So eth- ethos led to ethical, um, and so the ethical will is kind of a way of passing on who you were. And I think. One the reason we're so passionate about it is we really believe that is what is truly valuable that our clients have to offer. It's not just money, um, it's not um, assets, it's not houses or land or bank accounts. It's what they've learned their experiences and it's 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 really so sad to think about how many people. Because they don't think it's worth anything, they don't take the time to communicate that. Um, and I have, I guess, unfortunate or fortunate, depending on how you look at it, but I I sit with folks who have lost a loved one probably once a month. And I can tell you, and they're in the midst of their grief and dealing with that, The the for the most part i won't say always but for the for the most part for the folks who did truly love them the the money is not that important Mm -hmm. um who they were is the really valuable thing so the ethical will allow someone to communicate that and it's there's no set structure to it or it can they go in many different directions we have some people who record videos some people who write letters you know it could be a letter to one person it could be a letter to multiple people but I'll, again, without the running a slight risk of going on too, too much here, I'll just tell you there's some really fascinating research around ethical wills in terms of emotional and mental health
1: Interesting.
0: and on what the research has shown that for the person making the ethical will and the person receiving the ethical will, there are substantial mental and emotional health benefits. Um, people are better prepared to deal with trauma and problems in their own lives if they have received an ethical will and someone who takes the time to make an ethical will will see a measurable reduction in physical symptoms of of whatever they're they're going through so they're they're very very powerful and we again are in the benefit of the rare benefit of actually seeing people make them and then seeing them be implemented and I I just I'll, I won't go into all the stories but I'll tell you it's really really powerful and so I encourage everybody to make them. Um, it is, it is not easy to do. It takes some self re- reflection and some time. Um, but, but it's a tremendous gift for family and loved ones. Uh, when someone does take the time to put that together and make that as part of their,
1: their plan. You know, the way you put it, I can absolutely see the benefit for, for all the parties involved, um, for the person who's doing it and for the person who, is on the receiving end of it. Um, and I'm sure it helps immensely, uh, with the grieving process and other issues. So let's change, um, let's change gears a little bit here. Let's talk about the money sure. side. Um, you know, I'm the finance guy, right? So <laughs> you, knew we, you, you knew we were going to get to the money side and, um, you know, I'm going to ask your opinion here and you know, there, there there's we're trying to predict the future, I guess, in 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 some way. But, you know, over the last 20 years, I mean, we've really seen some dramatic changes in the tax laws. And yeah. to the point where I think they're probably the most generous that I've certainly ever seen. I mean, when you're talking about yep. the the federal uh, estate exemptions, I mean, we went from one million to two million, then we went from three and a half to six and a half to to where we now on the uh, the federal estate tax exemption. It's eleven point seven million dollars, and for a married couple, yeah. you know, you can double that up. So, with what's going on about forty to fifty miles east of us here down in Washington, you know, I would argue that we're probably going to see some dramatic changes. Coming in our future, in our in our near future, um, and yeah. if you agree with that, how should we think about all of this? In other words, taxes yeah, are probably a- going to go up. Estate limits going to go down um, over the past few years. Maybe people, uh, maybe you can share your thoughts, but maybe people haven't put an emphasis on their estate planning because the limit was so high relative to what it's been.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess short answer is yes. I think they are going to go up in the near future. And I say that with, with the understanding that I feel like estate planning attorneys have been warning about them going up for the last 20 years as they have gone down. So it's a little bit of a boy crying wolf here, you know, but but if you look at the bills that are going through Congress right now and the current political climate and the, the um, I, I just think. Uh, I, I i think it's a broad consensus that taxes are going to go up now what makes this really complicated and what makes the answer to your you know what how how do i think about this what what keeps me up at night is while i'm very confident taxes are going to go up I don't know how they're going to go up. And so we've, we've got the estate tax, which you've mentioned. We've got the capital gains tax, which is a tax, as I'm sure your listeners know, on the increase in the value of investments. And we have income taxes. And those taxes hit in different ways and at different times. And so what I don't know is how those are going to go up. And that creates a lot of uncertainty. For example, if they raise or lower the estate tax exemption, which would be effectively raising the estate tax, uh, but they leave capital gains taxes alone, uh, one approach, we, we we will do one thing. If they do the opposite, right, if they get rid of the step-up basis, which is a, a very favorable in the capital gains exemption that's related to death, Um, and they leave the estate tax alone, we'll do something entirely different. Mm -hmm. So we find ourselves in this really odd scenario where we're fairly confident that taxes are going to go up, but we don't know how. Um, And you and I were talking even before we got on about maybe there's gifting that needs to be done. Right? Yeah. But I mean, even if you go look at traditional annual gifting, they've been talking about getting rid of that. They've been talking about getting rid of islets. They've been talking about getting rid of a lot of the trust that we've used. Um, talking about not allowing um, uh, the the tax-free exchanges for the sale of, of land. So there's all these tools that we've used in the past that we're not sure if they're going to be available going forward. So, um, and I'm, I'm happy to talk de- details, but broadly speaking, what our advice to clients is, is that they, when they're faced with this sort of uncertainty, they need to take a page from your book. And when I say your your book, I mean the investment book and what what do investors do when they're faced with uncertainty in a market? They diversify. So we're encouraging clients to change their thinking. There's not going to be one solution for everything that they can just say, I want that and that will take care. Of, that will be the best thing for me and maximize my tax approach. Uh, that's not how you. They, they need to think about this. They need to think in a diversified way. So we're going to have some some assets that are in a, a very favorable capital gains bucket, and some assets that are in a favorable cap, a favorable estate planning bucket, and kind of the idea of trying to figure out what's going to happen and then just go all in on that, I think, is a mistake. Um, so we can we can talk about any specific tools you would like, but that's what that's how I'm thinking about the 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 coming tax changes. Yes, I think it's going to happen, and but I don't know how, and that means. Um, And that means taking what I'm calling a tax-diversified approach. Right.
1: Kind of like the Boy Scouts say, always be prepared, right?
0: (laughs) Always be prepared. That's exactly right. So we
1: talk about the estate limit is is high relatively, you know, that $11.7 million. But what I think a lot of people don't realize is that the states, if they have it, they have different levels too. So we're lucky that in Virginia, we don't have a state taxes, but with Maryland, I think it starts to kick in estate taxes come in at $5 million and tax ranges from maybe eight to 16%. And then DC is even lower than that. If you live in the district, you know, state taxes, state taxes start at 4 million and go from 12 to 16%. Um, so there is the argument that, you know, if you've been delaying doing some estate planning because that limit so high, don't forget about the state side of it. Um, it's always confused me why the states just don't um, uh, link with the federal limit. It'd be a whole heck of a lot easier for everybody. But obviously the answer there is yeah. money, less money for the states. That's right. So,
0: well, I think they initially were, and then as the federal one got higher and higher, some states just said, no, we're're we're, we're not going to continue to match that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, that's exactly right. I mean, I think when you think about planning for taxes, you have to think about the state issues as well. And by the way, there's state capital gains taxes too. So when we're, we're really doing an analysis for somebody, there's state capital gains, state income taxes in some states and state to state taxes. And we have to look at all of that. And one of the things that's really scary, and it, it's probably worse in DC or Maryland, but you have a number of our clients have a large amount. I'm sure folks who are listening to this may have a large amount of money in an IRA or other tax deferred account. And that money is going to be potentially subject to a state and income tax from both the federal and the state level, right? So you've got like four different taxes coming at this. And there are instances where if folks are not careful, they can end up paying over 100% in taxes. And so, yes, to your your point, should people be – should folks be planning and should they be thinking about this? Yes, and we do have some clients who are doing some um, who are doing some drastic, what I consider to be drastic things, and trying to take advantage of the current laws, and that's that's fine. Um, but I kind of go back to I think that makes sense when you have a, a large enough amount where you can do something drastic and still it's it's just one bucket, and you have other buckets that are subject to different taxes for a diversified approach, or at least a you know, more liquid and available for other types of use. But absolutely, to your initial question, do you have to be aware of the state taxes? Yes, and you have to be aware of the different types of taxes. So state estate tax, state capital gains tax, state in- income tax, and make sure you're accounting for all of those.
1: Right. Yeah, it's sad to see where people are, are planning on leaving a legacy to their children, and what they end up with is a tax bill. Um, That's right. We we touched a little bit earlier on gifting, and there are a lot of high net worth individuals who I've seen have been giving a lot more now uh, than typical. Just because that, yeah. uh, We when you talk about gifting, you know, you're allowed to do fifteen thousand, you know, give fifteen thousand dollars a year, thirty thousand for. For a couple, but you have a total lifetime exemption of 11 and a half million. And yeah. there's a thought out there, and I think it's probably the consensus, is that limit's going to be brought down. So you can't just give yeah. money away tax-free. They want to perhaps bring that limit down. Uh, obviously, it all comes back to money and, and the taxes. Do you think that limit's going lower now? And do you think it's a good strategy to maybe accelerate doing the gifting? So yes,
0: I do think the limit's coming down. I mean, it's scheduled to get to be halved in 2025. So in 2026 and on, it's going to be under the current law, it's going to be half what it is now. And there are uh, the current bill that's right now making its way through Congress. And I think it's in the House as of the time of recording this is lowering it immediately to five million. Um, President Biden has his pr- proposal has it at three and a half, um, so I, I expect you'll see that come. I, I do expect it to come down, and then it's kind of a qualified yes on should people do gifting. There is right now an opportunity to gift, you know, to to give up to eleven point seven million dollars per person, and so I do think that is a good idea with one big caveat. If you can do it right now, and um, still have enough money left to live on, uh, and have do it as part of an overall structure that takes into account capital gains, because as you know, Eric, if you give the money away, and you didn't, but when when you do that. Um, there's a chance that you're going to lose the step up in basis. There's some ways you can use a trust to try and avoid that. But if, if you can do it and it makes sense from a capital gains perspective, meaning you're probably doing it with assets that have a high basis um, and you have enough after that to live on, because once you give that money away, you, you don't have it anymore. I guess that kind of right. goes right. without saying. Um, then, yes, I think it makes I, I think it makes a ton of sense. Um, and and there is up until about a month ago we were worried that congress would do something retroactively so they would basically say hey if you gave anything away during 2021 uh you're going to you were you're still going to be taxed on it 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 the current bill makes it effective as of January 1st 2022 so i think this is a rare opportunity for someone who is of a, has an estate that is large enough where they can do this and where they can do it without giving Without losing um, the the or the step up at potential loss and the step up a basis is not a huge problem for them. Um, it, it I think it's absolutely something they should consider. Mm-hmm. Obviously with. Talking to their own legal and financial and tax ad, ad advisors, right? So right. this is—I don't. This is not general advice. It should be taken as—it shouldn't be taken as that. And please make sure you talk to your own experts before you try and implement this on
1: your own. Exactly. My compliance people are going to love you for that, Josh. Now they're—they're t- <laughs> they, they're talking about eliminating the uh, eliminating the step up in cost basis, which personally I think would just be a disaster um, for, for a number of reasons. Um, you know, I think it would be devastating for, uh, people who are a little bit farther out West than where I'm sitting now, you know, the farmers who, you know, their properties are, you know, maybe worth 10, $20 million, you know, that's a it's a large amount of land in a, in a growing, growing area. Um, you know, and the, the children typically don't have the dollars to pony up for a big tax bill. I mean, the tax bill could be, you know, three, $4 million. Who knows? Anyhow, I think I personally think that would be a disaster if they eliminated that. But for those type of people, uh, you know, farmers or or businesses, do family limited partnerships still make sense? Again, I, I don't kind of want to go down too far down the, the rabbit hole here. But Yeah.
0: Yes, they, I think they. I think they do. And again, you're getting into some really complicated planning there. But there are, there are some limited partnerships that I think will still make sense. There are some. Actually, there's a a life insurance type product that you can use to protect some of those things. And then the last thing is right now, there are trusts that make a lot of sense. Where there's a way with a particular type of trust called an intentionally defective grantor trust where. Currently, you can you can kind of have your cake and eat it too. You can have it so that um, you're you avoid the estate tax and you keep the capital gain step up in basis. That being said, the current law that's making its way through in its current form eliminates that or eliminates that particular trust. I think if my understanding is that the limited partnership will still have some benefits even after that's done, and the, the life insurance products will as well, but. It, it is something that should be looked at very carefully from multiple angles before anybody pulls the trigger on it. But it, uh, long answer to a short question: Yes, I, I do think the um, limited partnership is going to continue to have value.
1: Yeah. Now you talked about a little bit about life insurance and different options. There, are you talking about things like irrevocable life insurance trusts or second? Yeah. Well, yeah. Types of things. Uh,
0: Yes, I guess broadly speaking, yes. Um, but there's also some whole life whole life products that are um, that, uh, and again, I'm not an expert on these, but are designed to um, a- a- allow for assets to grow um, uh, tax free, right? And so there are there are ways to do that, and the islet is, I think, probably the most common, but there are some other options there as well. Uh, but those um, the the islets. I think are still going to be, with the current bill, they still will be of some use. They will be of less less use, but there'll they'll, they'll still be some benefit to doing them. So those are still an option. And if you're thinking about doing it again, I think now is kind of the, a, a great opportunity because the way the current bill is worded, if you get the trust set up and funded, before the bill is passed, the trust is going to be valid. Uh, after the bill is passed, what at least the current version of it says that a lot of these trusts, including islets, become um, less a- attractive uh, after President Biden signs it, assuming that he does sign. And again, I just want to be clear. There's no guarantees here, right? This is in Congress. It hasn't gone to the Senate right. yet, at least as of the recording of this. Who knows what the ultimate bill is going to look like or if it's going to get
1: passed at all? Yeah, we're doing a whole lot of speculating. So let's, let's shift gears once again. We've gone from the complicated and talked about islets and uh, partnerships and all that kinds of things. Let's say we don't need that. Let's say let's Just spend a minute on the foundational planning. Um, What do you think are the documents, quote unquote, everyone should have? Sure.
0: Uh, I break it down into two separate parts. So you you need documents that are going to be part of a plan for incapacity and a plan for death and starting with incapacity, I think everybody needs a medical directive is what we call it in Virginia. Other states call it a living will, basically a document that authorizes somebody else to make medical and care decisions for you if you get to the point where you can't make them on your own, and then along with that, I think everybody needs a financial power of attorney, which is the same type of thing, but allows somebody to make financial decisions. And then on the the death side of things, I think everyone either needs a will or a living trust. And honestly, I kind of started out in my career more focused on wills, but uh, probate, at least in Virginia, has gotten much more difficult over the last I'd say 15 to 20 years at least in my experience mm-hmm. and so we're really encouraging a lot of folks to look at living trust now as a way to avoid probate and so I would say those either a, a, a trust a living trust or a will um, to to pass your assets on when you're when you're when you die and then a financial power of attorney and advanced medical directive I've already mentioned Uh, ethical wills. The final document, I would say, is what we call an estate guide and inventory. We just made that term up. But basically, it's it's a practical document that lets your family, loved ones, or heirs know where everything is and how to find it. And then even better, perhaps, in some instances, who can help them. And so I would tack that on as another document that everybody needs as a way of just, making it so that whoever is having to pick up the pieces of your your life finds things as easy to um, use and as easy to find and has resources available to them. So it's not um, just it's, it's not worse than it has to be.
1: Yeah, Joshua, we're, we're just out of, uh, just about out of time, but I want to thank you so much for coming on today. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. How can someone get a hold of you? Besides Google, uh, or, or maybe that is the best way.
0: <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, I think we're on Facebook and LinkedIn and Google and it, you can check out our website at net, And if you want to shoot me an email, it's jhummer, J-H-U-M-M-E-R at jehlaw.net net.
1: Yep. And you can get the book there too, right?
0: Absolutely. Or Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any place books are sold
1: terrific. Again, I want to thank you for coming on today. I really enjoyed our I'm conversation and hopefully we can have you back on again sometime soon. Um, I'm Eric Whiteman. This has been Common Sense Investing. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow six during this podcast are those of the hosts that may not necessarily be those of XML Financial Group. Information provided should not be construed as personalized investment advice or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or engage in a particular investment strategy. You should consult your personal financial advisor before investing to make sure an investment is appropriate for your situation. Furthermore, this information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax or legal advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation with a qualified tax or legal advisor investing strategies such as asset allocation diversification or rebalancing do not assure or guarantee better performance and cannot eliminate the risk of investment losses there are no guarantees that a portfolio employing these or any other strategy will outperform a portfolio that does not engage in such strategies xml financial llc is an independent registered investment advisor